Welcome to Lectionary Calling for Tuesday, November 8th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. And this Sunday is November 13th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Of course, for our friend in Charles, our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, at 5.30 a.m. Our little team's working to be faithful to the final weeks of Lectionary Year C., and that puts us in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. This is how we do it. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions, and in this case, some ideas, some concepts, a few days prior. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share and encourage and we challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Charles Willard, Minnesota. Bill Hall, Tampa, Florida. I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our our lead today is our good friend Bill Hall. How you doing, Bill? I'm fine. Good morning, team members, and welcome to those who tune in uh, later. We welcome all of you. A couple of quick comments and then the scripture. We will be looking today at the lectionary passage, the gospel lesson from Luke 21, verses 5 through 19. I always look for parallels, and this story in Luke 21 is told virtually the same in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. Don has already alluded that we're about to finish year A. We have one more week next week. Um, Sarah will lead us in the discussion of the thief on the cross And then we will enter Advent Um, And this year in Advent we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew Leading into Lectionary Year A Which focuses on Matthew Now um, you will hear in a moment That I've expanded the passage by four verses I'm going to include the first four verses of Luke 21 and then the lectionary passage verses 5 to 19 and why I do that will be explained later first we listen and I read these sacred words from the new revised standard version Jesus looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury he also saw a poor widow put in two Small copper coins. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. While some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place. Jesus said, 
Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then Jesus said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Now, Don has signaled that we're going to take a little different approach this morning. Instead of crafting three specific questions, instead I've identified, based on my perception and my study of Scripture and commentaries, three subjects or three issues that I sense are reflected in this. The first I call hope and trust. Uh, The second is the contrast between abundance and scarcity, poverty, and wealth. And the third I call um, architecture, the issue of the, the temple and hoping to expand that beyond just literal building architecture to even more um, other ways of thinking of that. So those are the areas or the subjects or the things that I've identified. <clears throat> and we, uh, I will not call on each other by name. I invite us to engage in a conversation as we feel led. First area is hope and trust. <laughs> Luke, presents about as bleak a scene as it's possible to find in Scripture. Um, this was not new in Luke. In Luke 19, 41 to 44, uh, we are told that when Jesus came near Jerusalem, he wept over it. Uh, the days will come when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you. They will crush you. You and your children within you, they will not leave one stone upon another. And then further into Luke, past this week's passage in Luke 23, as Jesus was being led to the cross, we are told, but Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. He accurately predicted 
the temple would be destroyed. Political leaders and family and friends will betray you. Um, so where is there hope in this? How is that reflected? And I, there are several places we could look. He says, don't worry what you're to say when you're brought before councils or kings or whatever. I will be there to give you what you need to say. Um, and he indicates that they can endure. Um, so hope and trust, you know, it, it could be, uh, I think, reduced in its meaning by putting them on a little plaque and just saying trust in the Lord like there's some magic in that. Part of what I take from the the, the tone of this passage is hope and trust are very difficult, especially when all the current circumstances would argue against it. So now I invite my colleagues to engage in this subject of hope and trust as reflected in this passage. So I have a question. What parts of the passage give you hope? Not not telling you, Bill. I'm asking that of, of everyone. Right. And, and I would say, Don, go ahead. Yeah, there's a promise in it. I mean, so there's, I mean, it's, it's hard because we're looking at level buildings and scorched earth, but there is a promise that it's there. And there is an awareness because when this is written, there's certainly awareness of what's happened. Um, and the connection, Bill Walloff used to teach our lectionary class, almost at Presbyterian Church, used to connect that to the end of the age, that, it, that we're encouraged to make analogies of these things. We're encouraged to use architecture as a way of thinking. And equally, I think, Sarah, to use the absence of a frame is something that's liberating. I'm not saying it's easy, but I think there's a promise that with the absence of a frame, in the absence of orthodoxy, in the absence of something sitting in C2, like a stained glass window, that there's liberation, that the, the actual architect of our ideas and our concepts is actually God, who is, who is an architect all through scriptures. He doesn't build anything. God doesn't build, but God crafts that. And so I think there's a promise here that in the life of the mind, in the absence of the architecture, in the absence of the orthodoxy, we are liberated to communicate. Charles, what do you see as hope in this passage? I don't have anything to contribute right now. I I found great resonance in Caroline Lewis's um, blog, or I guess commentary, called um, Say What You See. Yeah. Uh, it's dated November 6, 2016. So it's an election week post as well as our <laughs> week. And the quote that just jumped off the page at me from her blog, from her um, commentary was, God will give you the words with which to testify your trust in God in the midst of circumstances that test your confidence and your hope. It, in that you have a foundation 
similar to the church, similar to the temple, you have a foundation that is irrevocably solid. Um, and I, I thought that that was really valuable considering the scorched earth bleakness of this particular passage. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the great perspective that, and, and in the first four verses, Bill, you, you brought in this image of this poor widow. And she's contrasted with this people who have this wealth in this, in this realm. And here's this woman who has the poor widow, and they are both at the temple, both at church, both giving, both having gratitude. Some may have it for other reasons, but she's brought her money. And she's supporting a temple system that isn't supporting her. There's there's that discomfort in looking at that, but the fact that she still persists in her faith um, is is valuable to me. Um, The other piece of this puzzle is that we have these words. The temple did fall down. The temple was leveled. It's been leveled like three times. It did not end Christianity or Judaism. Both of those foundational faiths have persisted. So I, I think that there's also that sense of hope and trust in, in that what these small things are that we do will not impact God and will not change God's commitment to humanity. Right. There's loveliness in that. Charles, I wanted to contribute something, if I may. Please. This is this is an article. There was an article written. These these things come from the past, not as far back as the 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 time of the New Testament or the time of the Old Testament, but 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 a long time ago. This was an article in the Christian Century uh, by Walter Brueggemann, professor of Old Testament at Columbia Seminary in uh, Decatur, uh, Georgia. Uh, in, 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 in 1992 That's a while back He concludes this article Called The Terrible Ungluing As follows There's, This is no scare theology Nor is it an intellectual problem To the problem of eschatology A solution to the problem of eschatology It's rather our characteristic interface Between text and experience Between old poem and current emergency On the one hand we need the voice Of the terrible The voice of terrible ungluing because if it is unvoiced, we will die of brutalizing fear. On the other hand, it will take an outrageous poem, one like Luke 21, to let the Holy in on our emergency. Where such a subversive sketching is sounded, we may gain our souls, even while the old world gasps and shudders. The nightmarish voice could be an utterance becoming dreaming hope. Thank you, Charles. That's exactly. And Sarah, your your question uh, sent me back uh, in the here and now to look at the passage as a whole. And not being an artist, I may be skating on thin ice. But if I if I were an artist and I were given these fourteen verses from the lectionary and trying to portray it, there would be off somewhere in the corner a little bit of light. <laughs> but I mean, the the only direct hope is in the last two verses. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your soul. For me, for Jesus to say, by your endurance, 
is saying you can endure. Uh, interestingly, um, in Matthew and Mark's accounts of this, it's the one who endures to the end will be saved. Um, it's the same meaning. So just to be told that you can endure has some element of hope in it. And I think, again, back to the trying to paint a picture analogy, the truth is that darkness seems to prevail. That's very existential and contemporary. Today is election day, and I got a prayer from a friend uh, that someone else wrote for election day, and I'll just read the ending words. God of justice and peace, we pray that we may play our part to ensure the common good as we seek to heal our nation. Amen. And the prayer asked for uh, fairness and so forth. It's nonpartisan. So I think it's there's a ring of reality that hope uh, seems little in the face of the realities that we face. I, I think what our brothers and sisters are enduring and how they're enduring it in uh, Ukraine is an example of holding on to hope even as their essential uh, infrastructure is being destroyed, lives taken. Um, and also I think of an analogy. There's the famous quote, courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to act in the face of fear. I would paraphrase, hope is not the absence of suffering. It is the willingness to trust God beyond the circumstances of the moment. I will add that darkness is afraid of a candle. <laughs> Who was it that the famous quote was, it's better to light one candle than to curse the dark? Um, Bishop Bolton J. Sheen or someone from my past. <laughs> Bill, I, I want to add that it's yes. one small room. This one small room we've been looking for for 2,000 years probably has a very simple edifice. Sometimes we, we imagine that it's something very fancy and Renaissance-like, but uh, we can't find it. Uh, I'm looking for my Lord, sir. I cannot find where they took him. So there is a space. There is a room. It's a carved or built environment in some ways, and we can't find it. And we should spend a lot of time trying to find it or name it. Okay, any other comments before we move on? Thank you, team and colleagues. The, the second area, and, and I read the first four verses to read with integrity how Luke frames the passage for this week as limited by the lectionary, and it's the widow's might in verses one through four. And he talks about the abundance of the wealthy people, the scarcity of the widows, the wealth of many, and her poverty. Um, and I think that's important to understand because in a sense, if even if we limit ourselves to the boundaries of the lectionary, 
the issue of abundance. People were trusting in the grandeur of the building. And we'll get to the building in the third part of our discussion. Um, again, just some brief context from my favorite book of the New Testament, James chapter 2, verse 5. James says, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that God has promised for those who love him? The, the poor will, will be rich in faith. Um, James is, of course, calling for, as the prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus did, for uh, responsible economic relationships, that is, a way to find some sort of equity. And we live in a world that still deals with extreme incomes and wealth inequity, um, challenging arrogance, greed, and um, uh, gluttony. And uh, so I, I, I think we will always, in the journey of faith, be challenged with this contrast between abundance and scarcity. And I think I've said this before, I'm sure we all know, in the eyes of the world at large, every every one of the four of us is wealthy. You look at the average income worldwide, uh, the way many, many people live, uh, we live with abundance. Okay, colleagues, your thoughts. I'll jump in. Good. Back to Caroline Lewis's article. She asks us, where and on what are you fixing your gaze in this particular? We are like the disciples. What are we looking at? Are we looking at the grandeur? Are we looking at, you know, the spectacle? Are we looking at the people that's so nice? Are we looking at the thing that looks out of place, the little old lady putting her money in the, the offering box? And she asks us, what are we choosing to see? Because I think that's the other thing. Your eyes go where you see what you want. And I think that that's a challenge for most of us because we really don't know what to value when we look at pictures like this. Well, and we guide each other, don't we? Uh, Sarah, I'm just curious just to get – if I could just poke you a little bit on this one. I, I'm thinking about the architect. Uh, yeah. That, that my, I don't have any choice where my eyes go in a great room, in a great cathedral, in a great building. That has been orchestrated by a great architect, uh, and it's not the creator. It's a creator. And so I actually have – it's almost involuntary. Someone is taking my little head and saying, look at the loft. Now look at the window. Now look at the floor. I mean, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a strong arm in, in great architects that, that is owned by human beings. Throwing that in to hear what you think. I'm going to agree with that. Um, I think that uh, perspective is valuable. It's also where you sit. Because if you walk into the church at the ground level, your eyes are going to be swept up by the architecture. If you go upstairs and you sit in the narthex or in the loft, where do your eyes go? What are your eyes looking at? So I think um, a good 
author your thinking with words. A good musician guides your attention with lyric and, and with melody. A good architect will drive your attention and your eyes upward with light, and, and uh, it could be arches, it could be um, windows, it could be whatever the, the trick of material could provide. The question is, who's guiding your eyes? And as long as you know <laughs> who is manipulating you, you're, you're ahead of the circumstance, so to speak. So Jesus is guiding our eyes in this particular passage, and I think that's really valuable. He sets up the contrast between what is seen and what is unseen. For me, he, uh, he makes what is made by man look temporary, and what is made by God is promised eternity. Um, what is valued by humanity and what is valued by God are put in sharp contrast for me. Um, what is real and what is contrived are both on stage at the same time. And Jesus is asking us to value what he sees in a better or greater way than what, what we see with our own eyes. And I think that goes back to trust and promise and hope in a way that we don't see in a, leather, in a lot of other passages. So this is a really clean, up-in-your-face kind of presentation by Jesus to go, be prepared, be forewarned. If a man's hands made it, it's passing. But at the same time, you know, Bill, he's not, in my, in my opinion, he, the, the, the people looking at, at the adornments, and, and the architecture, it's neutral. It's so Jesus can bring them into a conversation. And so I just you want to say, I don't see this as being a damnation of anything. It's like, you know, it's like, Sarah, like you're saying, it's that are you, are you intentional? Do you realize your head is being drawn to something for a reason? Do you understand what you're participating in? And then he adds, and by the way, I think Jesus would say, and it's beautiful. Beauty is important. We, we, we share what, what you believe is beautiful. But he adds to the, to the exercise, the absence of structure, the elimination of structure. And I'm, I'm saying this in a really academic way because there are people that deal with this every day. And it, 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 so you know, Jesus is also dealing with the trauma and that loss. But I think we're also encouraged to think about the absence or what the ruin actually looks like, which allowed me, Bill, to think about um, – what are the greatest spaces I've ever been in that are standing? Pantheon. <laughs> but also the most moving is walking through the Roman Forum, which has no closed building left, by my imagination leads. So. And Sarah, yet again, your comment led me to do some reflecting in the here and now. You talked about Caroline Lewis's article, which is excellent, and the what are you looking at, and being set up to see something. Uh, that supports my choice to include these first four verses. I think Luke is intentionally guiding, introducing the subject is abundance or scarcity. And I just checked quickly in the other two parallels, Mark uses the same lead-in to the, the passage for, that we have parallel today. 
uh, Matthew doesn't, it looks like. So yet again, Mark also followed that pattern of the poor widow and then this discussion uh, about the building. And I think that it, it reminds us and I, that we can never avoid this issue of abundance and scarcity. Uh, it is at the core of the, of the gospel message and the turning upside down human expectations. Um, any other comments before we've made some references to the third area already, and are we ready to move to a focused, um, Charles, anything before we move on? Okay. Um, the third area, the theme, uh, I call architecture, buildings, monuments, and I'm suggesting we expand. Our architecture is a structure, and I think there are mental architectures, social architectures uh, that seek to shape uh, how we see ourselves and how we uh, live our lives. So um, Jesus says, as we've already alluded, and it's clear, this building is going to become rubble. And in effect, folks, he's saying you need to be prepared that what you thought was a grand testament to human ability is transitory. It reminds me, uh, I'm now a member of Tampa Bay Presbytery, previously serving Kirkwood Christian Church in Brayton, and I was in Peace River Presbytery. Hurricane Charlie was devastating to our presbytery. One of our churches literally was turned to rubble. I think there may have been one part of a wall standing. And interestingly, the next Sunday, that church, of course, with support from the Presbyterian denomination, um, worshipped on that rubble. They had a tent. And the pastor, understandably, uh, emphasized that we're still the church. The building is gone, but we are still the church. And if I may, I'm going to insert here a great affirmation for Presbyterian disaster assistance. I was moderator of the Presbyterian at the time, and within several days of that hurricane, I moderated a meeting of about 35 people from FEMA, the governor's office, uh, all kinds of resources, and Presbyterian Disaster Assistance sent us a sizable check immediately and said, we trust you to use this money as will be most effective. And it enabled us to hire the person who had guided the Presbytery in the Miami area after Andrew. He had organized their effort. He was an absolute genius and a, a gift. So just a word of encouragement to support uh, Presbyterian disaster assistance. Okay, our thoughts on architecture, buildings, monuments, traditions, histories, and culture. I'm going to quote a very famous theologian. There is a leveling 
Don Upton said that this this morning. There is a level. <laughs> and I'm going to add good news. Salvation comes for all. Not just the poor, not just the rich. Not just the believer, not just the unbeliever. Salvation comes for all. Now, go. <laughs> Architecture. Uh, uh, the, you know, I when the you first raised the themes, Bill, I'll say for the listeners, this was distressing in some ways, which I think goes to some of the points you're making, Bill, that we usually run this by questions. The, the moderator of the week, we do one each week. You know, Sarah, you're up next week. Guys, um, mm-hmm. the conversation, Bill threw out ideas, uh, which sounds very simple to make a change, but I want to tell you, I'm 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 struggling because the architecture frame in which we've been working for years was thrown out the window. It sounds like no big deal, but let me tell you, I got up this morning to prepare for the podcast and I had no anchor. I had no window. I had no frame. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun because I trust my friends here, but there's a wealth of exploration here, which I think is a small glimpse of what it is when Christ talks about the words will come to you, but there needs to be faith in that and we can bring our stories our stories may be more important than the actual fixed architecture. When everything is leveled, what do you have? Well, here we are. We all love each other, and we're having a great conversation. So I, what I want to offer up is uh, something uh, that brings it current. And Ann Douglas wrote a book I love very much called The Terrible Odyssey about Manhattan in the 1920s, which, of course, skyscrapers and the architecture that we know today is popping up. And I'm just going to quote something, which I just think bridges – the leveling to the hope and to all these things. Uh, and this is from a culture of momentum uh, chapter. And I'll just quote her. In the 1900s, Alf- Alfred Stieglitz took picture after picture of New York's audacious new Flatiron building, arguably the city's first skyscraper. Flatiron, designed by Daniel H. Burnham in 1902, rose for 23 floors, a breathtakingly unbroken and slender wedge of matter Slipping gravity's laws. Stieglitz thought that the flat iron was to, quote, quote him, to the states what the Parthenon was to Greece, unquote. And during one snowstorm, he had something like a vision. The flat iron pressed me as never before. It appeared to be moving toward me like the bow of a monster ocean steamer. A picture of a new America still in the making. The flat iron, like the nation it emblemized, was to Stieglitz both a wonder of civilization and a monster whose course could not be known. All that was certain was its power, its grip on the future, its implacable advancing motion. Stieglitz's prophetic home was soon justified in historical fact. America emerged from the Great War, the most powerful nation in the world. And yeah, I just wanted to yeah, – there's one of, you know, 10 million stories that could be told about something that has weight and matter in our lives, a place that we go inside, and how it's connected to the past and the present. And it's so connected to the future. We hang on to it. The flat iron will be gone one day. We hang on to it as if it's moving through water. And the only thing that I could think of that to say if that's leveled – is the image of what the church looks like in so many pieces of art, which is it's not a building at all. It has mass, but it's a boat on the ocean, church itself moving forward. But I just, I like that passage, not because it's, you know, it, it lands 
exactly where we need to go, but it's there's one one thing that, that we have constructed. The architect is present, not the builders, but you, the mind of the architect, the mathematics of this, and all of a sudden it becomes something huge in terms of the culture and the momentum of the culture. It speaks to what's going to be happening, and it, it's a future teller. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that dangerous as well? And I think I like that he called it a monster. And I think our orthodoxies of cathedrals and buildings and monuments are there too. And I'll just finish up, Bill, by going, and the women in the garden says, they've taken my Lord. I can't find him. He's not in the building. He's not in the tomb. He's not in the, I cannot make a monument to him. He's gone. He's gone. Well, of course, this reminds us of the Transfiguration, where Peter wanted to build three, in effect, monuments. And this raises for me the question, and and I think your quote, Don, at least in me, it sparked, that architecture buildings can encompass a a message, and, and they have meaning for us. This isn't to say that beauty and human construction is evil, but I, Jesus is saying, ultimately, your trust is not in the edifice of what you create. But it, as to me, it's clear in the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament that what God wants is a community of love and service. Um, and I will read three passages that mean so much to me in terms of, of architecture physical architecture and the family life in the church from Isaiah 65 for I am about to create new heavens and a new earth the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating for I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy and his people as a delight from John 4 several selected verses Jesus said to her woman believe me The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then Revelation 21, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Um, That's the kind of architecture I find very exciting. Charles, anybody? Uh, okay. Uh, other comments overall of all three themes or more about architecture? I, I'll add things that are built are usually meant to testify to the greatness of humanity. A memorial to effort, a justification of power, proof of blessing. What do you think God sees when he looks upon the monuments, castles, pyramids, cities, atom bombs, and boundaries that humanity sets? What do you think God see? what God wants us to see in this passage? Those are questions that kind of like, I think you could drive a Sunday school class with. Um, Change persists. In Florida, there's jokes about weather. 
right? It can be beautiful and sunny, and then 30 seconds later, it's storming, and then 15 minutes later, it's beautiful and sunny again. Um, so there's jokes about how quickly the weather changes here, but buildings change. Cultures and societies and civilizations deteriorate and reemerge anew. I think that uh, you know, there's something wonderfully awkward about aging, right? Whether we like it or not, that 20-year-old um, flexibility and ingenuity and foolishness yields to a 60-year-old's perspective and wisdom and um, and tolerance. I think those are some you know interesting movements. As I age, I can see um, not only the value of a box of hair color, but I can see the value of perspective of looking, having the privilege of looking backwards and saying with confidence. All will be well. I think there's something to be said for that. Um, So I wonder if we get distracted with temporal things instead of considering eternal things and that God God harks or calls us back. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, anyone else before I hand it to our quarterback? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just in, I'm interested in you know I I hate to use the word art but you know there's this there's whole lines of thinking in art related to removal of things uh, to mm. access that this that you know you see it there it is now it's not there sometimes it's playful as in Monet and there's a fog and I kind of make out the building. I'm not sure if it's there or not anymore. It starts fading. And and, and so I, I think I'm drawn to, to, to the mental exercise, and it's a spiritual exercise, too, of thinking through that. Right now, I think, I'm thankful that I have a roof, that I live in a steady, well-regulated, organized community. We pay our taxes. The sewage works. The roof is on my building. I'm thankful for that. But I think we're asked to meditate on the absence of those and also, Bill, you know, we're looking at how it's adorned. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of history about what's, what's hung in places like this. So what are we putting? I, I think that's another discussion about there's, there's no way to put anything inside anymore. Uh, you know, if it's just a cave or something, it's put my food or where I roll a stone to protect myself from the elements. But I think we also are asked to think about what are we and, and I think they're looking at the adornments, which I think is meant to tell a story. I certainly do in this house. I, my, my house mm-hmm. is something I don't need. You know, I, I think that's a meditation, too. If, if the, the repository is gone, you know, what do you have? Do you have no place to put your stuff? Uh, you know, what's, what does that mean? Uh, and at the end, to kind of you know, to cut to the takeaways, you know, what's, what's in your heart that the Spirit speaks? And med- if you meditate upon the memory and the memorial, you also meditate on the absence of a place to put things and that you are a repository. You, it will come to you if you are intentional, as you think about it. That that, and so I'm just thankful for the artists that say, let's meditate upon the ruin. Let's meditate upon the, the, the building in the mist let's, and the landmarks that may not be there anymore. And I think these are all landmarks. So you go to, you go to, city, you go to that temple. That temple. What do you see? The first thing you see when you come to Jerusalem at that time? 
or let's say 10 years before this was written, you're going to see the temple. Those landmarks, the absence of landmarks uh, is okay because there's landmarks in our, in our hearts uh, that are going to be there anyway. Well said. Thank you, Don. Thank you, team. Thank you. Let me, let me say again for the listener, this was difficult because the architecture of these, this meeting was destroyed and taken away and, uh, and a, a pleasant struggle and uh, uh, sometimes simple orthodoxies removed uh, can be very helpful. And uh, thank you, Bill, for, for uh, steering us in this direction. Palmasia Presbyterian Church is lo- located at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. Uh, for more information, you can go to palmacia.org, P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. Uh, for the record, that's a building. It's a red brick building with a roof on it and a steeple, a very traditional front aisle. You go up the steps. Uh, it has stained glass windows on it, every particular uh, make. It has lawn and has sidewalks in front of it. Uh, but here we are in a virtual setting. Uh, that church is in our hearts, but I, I haven't set foot in that church in five years. But here we are. Uh, so... You're, you check that site out, you'll hear sermons, great music, chance to take communion, participate in the remembrance that Jesus gives us, which is about uh, blood, wine, and the bread, things that, that seem to be fleeting but are permanent in that church. Uh, and you are always welcome, and we'll see you next time. Before you, before you turn off the recording, did you want to mention the email? Uh, yes. Did you, Sarah, do you know that email address? No, but I invite I invite our listeners and and people who might be watching. If you want to offer us a, a question or a um, a comment, we would love to hear from you. Um, you can leave your comments in the Facebook posts around this podcast and this lectionary. Um, that's one place to park it. Uh, John Wells made that recommendation. Um, the other place to to send it, and I think it's. Um, Lectionary call in at palmacia.org, but I could be wrong. Yikes! So we'll 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 find out and be more appropriate next week. Right, and and all, I mean add to that next week I think is the final step in your seat. There will be leading, and we'll use that also to communicate exactly how to communicate with us for the year to come. So heads up, we're preparing for year A. Uh, and we'll be turning the page. Uh, so, you know, get your calendars out. And look at look at the Sunday's uh, gospel lectionaries and other new things to come as well. We good, everybody? All right. You're always welcome. We'll see you next time.